Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Shannon, and Mad. All right, welcome to Wood Talk number 438 for June 4th, 2018. On today's show, we're talking about keeping cool in the summer shop, wood choices for a baton, and getting into chainsaw milling. We'd also like to thank some folks who helped us out by supporting us over at Patreon. And that's patreon.com slash woodtalk if you want to get involved. Uh, it's Chris Berklin and Eric Meesels. Spelled a little differently than the the disease, but it's... Oh, good. Meesels. <laughs> so thank you, Eric and Chris. We really appreciate it. And again, if you want to help us out, go to patreon.com slash woodtalk. You get a few little kickbacks in return, but you get the uh, sort of warm and fuzzy feeling of knowing that you're helping keep this show going. You're keeping us inspired with money. Money's very, <laughs> it's very inspiring. Don't you, don't you think? I, uh, I mean, it's not everything, people, but people have jobs and stuff. I mean, it makes the world go round to some extent. All right. I can see I'm alone on this one. Fine. You guys are idealists. That's okay. I'm okay with that. Uh, so Usually let's... I don't have to think at this point. I'm just going to sit here and listen to you ramble for a while, and then I can Seriously. worry about talking. We're, we're both just checked out. Until you say something about what's on the bench, yeah, start, yeah. yeah. There's no ad to read. You know, this is actually one thing that I miss about Vanderlist. Vanderlist was a great space filler. Like, it didn't matter what I was saying or when I was saying it. If he even sensed half a second of empty space, he'd be on it. And he'd, I don't think he even knew what he was saying. But words were coming out of his <laughs> no, mouth. Generally not. <laughs> words are coming out of his mouth, and we're just going for it. It was great. Uh, but anyway, let's get to what's on the bench. So I hey. am uh, in, in a very weird phase right now. Uh, you guys might know that I don't like... To, puberty. puberty yeah it is and um <laughs> things are starting to grow other things are starting to smell and i'm seeing hair in places that i don't like it <laughs> i think I, you know they should almost refer to it there's there is a older age puberty like thing that happens where where guys do start to get hair where where they didn't have it before it's almost like that again that happens later in life it's kind of interesting if you think about it okay anyway <laughs> 
I'm making an okay. executive desk. Speaking of words <laughs> coming out of your mouth that you don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I don't like to start and stop projects. I don't like to stop in the middle. I don't like to leave anything, you know, hanging in the shop. I like to complete a thought and then move on to the next thing. And I'm in the middle of this executive desk build and there is a ways to go. But I'm running into this time crunch problem where I've got the Mark Adams class coming up and I need to do some significant prep work for that. So I got to clear out like a good week to do what I want to do for that. Then uh, Nicole is forcing me to go to Missouri and (laughs) that's almost a week. And then I have the book. Payback for you taking her to New Jersey. Ah, she loved it. She got tomato pie. It was delicious. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so I have to do the second round of work on the upcoming book. And all this has to happen like within the next month. So I'm trying to squeeze everything in. And the only way I could think to do it is to release some of the footage that I already have for the desk. That'll buy me some time for the next few weeks. And during the next few weeks, instead of building more of this desk, stopping and working on this coffee table project for the Mark Adams class and then the book. And then like maybe a month from now, I'll be able to go back and restart the executive desk. And I I despise that process. I do not like telling my brain to, to change gears like that. So I don't know. I know some people thrive having multiple projects going at the same time. And, and I am not one of those people. So um, I was curious, do you guys ever do multiple projects, like big projects too uh, at the same time? Or yeah. you sort of like do one finish and move on to the next. I need little things in there, but those are big jumps. Like, yeah. I don't think I'd like that. Mm-mm. Like it's nice to do something a little small to, to step away from a big project every now and then and do something different. Yeah. But I don't think I would enjoy going back in after like a month off. Right. I think my motivation wouldn't be there. Yeah, like if you took all. a month off from the, the high boy, imagine how hard oh, that would be yeah, to get back no. into. Like, I ah, just call it good. We're going to just get rid of all of this uppercase stuff yeah. and we'll call it a low boy. Who needs drawers? drawers? Everybody <laughs> likes open shelving. That's right. That's true. Open concepts. It's the latest craze. <laughs> I don't have space to do multiple big projects. Yeah, I guess so. Huh? So there'd be necessity. no place to put anything. Wow, that's a good point. And think about that. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what's going on with me. But I'm looking forward to the you know fun stuff. But it's very stressful for the next couple of months. But man, I'm I'm looking forward to fall. Like, and 2019 is the year of the hermit for me. Like, I <laughs> I will not be traveling anywhere that is not absolutely essential. I'm staying home, playing video games, and complaining in Instagram stories. That will be my year. <laughs> I can't wait to find out what you deem absolutely essential. Oh, I have no idea. Wherever like pow- power <laughs> medic back tells to Comic-Con. me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, okay. As far as work goes, if there's family trips and stuff, yeah, heck yeah, we'll be doing that. Um, but Matt, what about you? You're making something pretty fancy. So I've I seen... made, I finally made an Elfie table. Woo! From my table saw. Elfie table. Yeah. I said I was going to do it for the longest time. I finally did it. Feels good. I was thinking about this too. Like I got that that saw stop almost two years ago, so I haven't had an Alfie table for two years. Wow. All that storage and all that functionality has not been there. It is the weirdest thing. I made like two cuts last night after I finally got it assembled and kind of ready to go. I'm still not done yet, but I use it. I'm like, this is kind of nice. The stuff like doesn't fall off the back of the saw. What? <laughs> this is weird. What is this, this is new nice. technology? <laughs> and I can't wait to like put all my crap in the drawers because i have all the stuff that used to be in the old elfie table in the drawers in there that's just kind of like littered all over the shop mm-hmm. 
So I will suddenly have a lot less little things laying around my shop when it's all done. But like, I kind of realized the problem with my tape, my Elfie table, the way I designed it is, it's too like pretty, and I want to put finish on it. No, no other shop stuff in my shop has finish on it. So I'm like, slap it together, looks good enough. Let's start work on something else. Let's use this thing. So I, you know, I might have to put finish on it. I'm leaning towards putting finish on it at this point. Well, you 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 put a live edge slab on the top and box elder drawer fronts. I mean. <laughs> You, you, like you're, just, you're some, just some stuff I had laying around. Yeah, yeah, you're acting like you just knocked this thing together from like uh, you know home store two by fours. <laughs> you're already well, using good stuff, so you may as well put some damn finish on it. I mean, my other ones are spalted maple, and my other ones are white oak drawer fronts. So it's like all crap I had laying around. It's yeah. also that's nice or perceived as nice, but it's all unfinished. But. I think I will still put finish on it. Like I do in my heart of hearts want to see that box elder pop. And I do want to give some protection to the top itself because that's kind of like the area where I do like my chainsaw maintenance. So I need to be able to protect it from mm-hmm. uh, oil and stuff like that over there. But I don't know. I'm, I'm happy. So also it's nice to knock yeah, I mean, something out pretty you, quickly too. Oh, won't yeah. you probably end up waxing it from time to time, just like you would your table saw top just for lubrication purposes. I guess I could just do a wax finish. Yes. Yeah. So maybe you just leave it at that. Throw some I don't know, but Renaissance wax trademark. Trademark. Here's your money. Uh, <laughs> That's to get paid. I don't know because here's the other thing too that the slab that I used for that top is the book match of the one I used for the waterfall table. So I know what like how awesome that slab looks with finish on it. Oh yeah. I kind of want to see that same look every single time I use the table saw. I think you should do another poured finish. You should do a bar top epoxy. Oh please no. Just so you have to pour more stuff. <laughs> well, hold and on. Then, then I mean, you can use some other like box elder to for like the frame to keep the stuff from dribbling over the edge. Yeah, you know, you the mold. Well, that's what it's called. Uh, you know, plenty of people yeah. tell me that stuff is garbage. So yeah, I'm not using for mold stock. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing: in the time that it spent us, like that we just spent talking about this stupid thing, how hard is it to apply a coat of finish? You're acting like you're, you're building a second one. I would do it right. I would take it apart, you know, finish both sides. Oh, you want to the pre-finish everything? Yeah, okay. Give give the the crappy plywood I use a real light sanding because it's all fuzzy from the factory. Still, you know, man. it's like what a, a couple hours. Go ahead and do oh, it. And- I just has a lot of work. I've just never done it before. You know. Yeah. So my, here's, here's my furniture has finish on it. That's like that little bit that's left in the bottom of the cup. After you finished yeah. like the real project, that's what goes on my shop furniture. Mm-hmm. That's like that's the finish that's on my bench on both of my benches. That's the finish that's on like my wooden squares and things. It's <laughs> it's whatever happens to be left in the rag or in the bottom of the cup. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, man. That's smart. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Mister Slab Guy. Uh, you've Mister Slab Guy, you've got enough experience with slabs to 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 know at least in in my experience. Maybe you were, yours is different, but they uh, especially the bigger they get, they don't really stay flat. Right, they do have a tendency. Even if it's minor, there there could be a cup there to deal with. So obviously, outfeed table doesn't have to be absolutely perfect. Um, but are you thinking that maybe the finish could help a little bit with stabilization of that slab? Since if it does decide to do anything weird, it could be problematic for you. I don't I don't see it doing anything because I flattened it in February or March, mm-hmm. and it's been sitting fully exposed in the shop since then. And back in well, whenever I flattened it, the humidity in the shop was uh, like 10 or 8 or something percent. So like crazy, crazy dry. Mm-hmm. And now we're like in the 60s. So it's and acclimating it's still to pretty that. Flat. 
and it hasn't really it has a slight cup in it. Oh, okay. But it's like a thirty second, and that thing is two feet wide. Okay, yeah. So it's nothing. Plus, it's it's tied down to the to the box of the the cabinet mm-hmm. pretty well. So I don't. I think that's gonna help to hold it flat as well. I'm not. And again, I'm pragmatic. I don't. If it cups, I don't care. It's an outfit table. You're you're ironically pragmatic. You okay, know, fine. You're, you're pragmatic, All but right. you're talking about using a live edge slab <laughs> for the top of an Alfie table. It's just stuff I had laying around. It's, I ain't going to go buy. I know, I know. I get it. It's, or whatever. it's just a different way of thinking of things. Like yes. right now, I have my drink sitting on a piece of teak. <laughs> it's resting on teak. Right. Because I just happen to have a piece of teak floating around. It's sort I of work for the largest importer of it, teak. It's like drinking a really expensive wine out of a plastic cup. You know, because I'm pragmatic. <laughs> you know, like it's a, it, it's one of those things. I okay, I give you that one. That that was that was fantastic. Okay, I kind of want to do that now. <laughs> oh, With a straw, a boat get, bag. You have to have wine. a straw as well. <laughs> when are we gonna have like a wine night wood talk? I think that sounds pretty good right we should, now. Yeah, that sounds I good. I mean, it is. It's Friday. Who cares? It's just wine it. afternoon. It's after lunch. We should yeah. get a drink. We need to horn in on Gary V's market a little bit. There Grab some of those wine up. Can we start cursing? Exactly. Too? He, got, he got me. So we got a crossover right there. Noise. <laughs> okay. Enough about that craziness. Shannon, what do you got going on? Oh, just trying to be like Matt. <laughs> Every day. Slap off the table. A little bit closer, trying to be like Matt. <clears throat> Pulling in logs. I um I had promised my wife's one of my wife's colleagues that I would take a tree that she had fall down on her property. And uh, this was like three months ago on a really bad storm we had. You know, she offered it to me. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll take that. And it was kind of like a passing conversation. And then like a couple of weeks went by. She was like, so are you going to come get this or what? I'm like, oh, geez, yeah, I'll do that. And I mean, it's a, it's a oh, full man. tree. You have no idea how much you sound like me right now. <laughs> this is like you're living up to the I want to be like Matt. Yes. I have Every a lot day, of this up to a little bit more up. like Cremona. I'm actually a little bit shorter all of a sudden. <laughs> a little I, hairier, a little shorter. <laughs> My hair is growing. I have a lot more hair, well. and, and I'm great. really picking up this pretty sweet tan. <laughs> <laughs> so long story short, I had many other plans for Memorial Day weekend <laughs> in my shop working on projects that I should be working on that people are paying me for. But it was it was my wife was saying um, she really wants you to come get that tree <laughs> mine. So I went over there and and this was one of those that the, the ground has been so soft in Maryland because we've just had so much rain. So like windstorms come up and literally just push trees over completely uprooted and everything. So fortunately, they somebody had come and actually cut it free from the root bulb. So it was just and, and they had trimmed off all the branches. So what was left was the the bowl the log um all the other ancillary stuff it had been trimmed off so it was actually a pretty straightforward job i just had to buck it into links so it was finding the little sections where there were branches and cutting out the straight grain stuff in between i ended up with four about five to six foot sections that were perfectly straight and anywhere from like 18 inches round at the skinny part up to about 36 inches in diameter. So pretty decent sized log. In other words, <laughs> I couldn't decent. move these things unless I split them. Um, the the uh. 18 inch round, I was actually able to like, you know, end over end, um, walk it up to the car. And then like I made this little ramp out of four by fours 
um, just with like imagine like a ladder shape, two four by fours and a cross piece, a big H. And I just rolled it up that into the hatchback of my car and, you know, slid it into place. And it's just like, okay, that was easy. And then the, the next one was a good six inches bigger in diameter. And there was just not a chance. Like even the <laughs> cant hook had trouble rolling it. It was just like, okay, I'm going to have to split this one. So I ended up spending most of the day splitting stuff out, um, getting down to halves, quarters, just so that I could pick it up and load it into the car. Got it all loaded in the car, and it was like this kind of weird drive home, good 45-minute drive home. <laughs> Just <laughs> worried the whole time that, like, the car was going to tip over if I went around a turn too fast. <laughs> it was just so awkwardly weighted in the back. Oh, <laughs> you, so- you just keep playing into this whole I want to be like Matt thing because that's exactly what some of my drives home were like. <laughs> just like <laughs> – you know, and I specifically took back roads so I wouldn't oh, yep, get yep. highway speeds you or are speaking my language right police now. officer. <laughs> Just afraid of becoming a woodworking internet meme at some point. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so, and then the funny thing was is I got home and the last thing in the world I wanted to do was unload that car. So I didn't. <laughs> and then we had like torrential rain for a day. Um, and then it came to Monday, Memorial Day. And I was like, I got to go to work tomorrow. Like, I need to get those logs out of the car. And it was so funny because the car was completely fogged up from the inside. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was, I mean, it, it, a, a log is like 90% moisture content. <laughs> and you split it into quarters and stick it in the car. And it's just like moisture everywhere. My car still smells like Palowina tree. Um got a, a very nice sweet smell to it. it it's, it's a it's a new air freshener actually you don't have to hang the little tree from your your uh, rearview mirror just stick a log in there for a couple of days so long story short i've got a whole bunch of palowina and i've got it split into blanks to specifically make chairs but in good conscience i can't bring myself to make chairs from this um are you guys familiar with the species at all no, we know Japanese um, thing, right? Yeah, all, it, it's known as kiri in Japan. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool ring porous wood. It looks a lot like oak, um, and the grain structure and the porosity and everything is very much like oak. But the density is way low because the tree grows super fast. Like the growth rings are like half an inch to an inch. Oh, um, nice! <laughs> so it, it's incredibly lightweight, but at the same time, it's also very very strong. But it's the density is so low, so it's really soft. When you dry it, um, you, you, it's one of those things like you pick up a board and you're like, whoa, that's like way lighter than I expected it to be. So it's really cool in that respect. It was used for making um, tansu chests in, in Japan because you could make a case, put all your stuff in it, and yet it was still light enough to hoist it on your back and walk it to the next village and tell your Hello Kitty whatever it was. Because <laughs> there was a lot of Hello sure, Kitty. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> The, the Shogun really were into Hello Kitty. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Most people don't know that. So, I mean, it's a really cool species. I've I've come to learn that it's like super popular for like stand up paddle boards, making that torsion box assembly. Because again, it's it's strong yet really lightweight. Um, it's used a lot in you know what's the thing that Pekovich uh, Kumiko and other stuff along that lines. So it's actually got a lot of uses, but when it's dry. It kind of reminds me of balsa as far as softness and how it feels. I just can't bring myself to make a chair from that. That just seems like not a good idea. So everything else about the wood tells me that it would work. Let's give it a good so, I don't know. I've got enough of it. I may just build, good. You know, I may just build one and just say, you know, screw it. But 
Um, the point is, you know, you guys can relate to this because when, when I'm building something and I'm thinking of doing this for the hand tool school, there's a difference between building it to see if it works out and building it and actually instructing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so, you know, I, if I build it on my own, which I may just do anyway, um, I think I'll be fine with that. But if I'm actually going to build it and film it, and like say this is how you do it. I really don't think I should use that species. Because <laughs> you could say all day long, don't use this species, and people will still be like, "But you used it." So yeah, I don't know. I'm I have a conundrum to play with there. Mm-hmm. 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 Got you. All right. So let's get into what's new. And you mentioned those logs having tons of moisture, and there is a video here. Uh, that Nick Carruthers sent us. And there's a moment in it that's really cool as he exposes a bowl blank, basically, to fire. And you can see, it. you have to watch the video to understand what's going on, but it starts to sweat as he's got, like the whole thing starts to warm up. And it's actually really interesting to see how much moisture is just kind of being pulled out of this thing. Um, so uh, Nick sent this video to us. And I, and I should say, um, generally speaking, we're not, we don't usually promote videos that are sent to us like this, unless there's something really like weird or compelling about it. Um, so he sent this video of his eight year old nephew who came up with this really unique project idea. And I guess he must've learned something about how, uh, native Americans used to hollow out logs, probably for like canoes and whatnot, uh, by, by using fire. So they're essentially like destroying the interior. So it's easier to kind of carve it away. And who knows what else? I don't know the details, but this was his idea. And it's a really cute thing as he describes what he would do to make the bowl. So Nick then tries to recreate to some extent what the kid had said he wanted to do. In the meantime, he gets down a rabbit hole of like, how is he going to hollow this out with the fire? And then he like he uses so much wood and material to burn the center of this bowl out. It's hilarious. I mean, so totally impractical. Uh, but then he finally does do it. And this is the funniest part. You got, you got to watch this. So he is trying to seal the inside of the bowl so that the, the charred burnt stuff store sort of like remains intact. So he's using epoxy to do this. And if what happens when you pour a bunch of epoxy in a bowl, well, it all seeps to the bottom. So he's trying to figure out how can he take up that volume and spread it out to the sides. So he goes uh, to the grocery store, gets a little plastic thing of fruit, and it's kind of the perfect size bowl. So he presses that down into the epoxy, lets it cure. What do you think happens? He has fruit (laughs) and a bowl. Well, there's, he took the fruit out. That little cheap plastic thing from the grocery store doesn't do so well in high heat. So the epoxy completely melts the plastic bowl and it just becomes like one. Oh, <laughs> so he takes this thing and it becomes more of an art piece and he keeps the plastic in there. It's, it's a whole thing. It, it is like a 15, 16 minute video and it's an adventure. And I actually was, thing. it's, it's a whole thing. So anyway, Nick, good job. There's a lot of like fun stop motion. That's just kind of randomly placed in there, <laughs> but it's really good. Go check it out. It's a fun little video. Fun. And Nick, look into a um, fly rod um, rotisserie. I don't know what they call them, but when you when you epoxy the guides on a fly rod, when you make a fly rod, you yeah. put it on a on essentially a spit, and it turns very slowly so that the um, epoxy doesn't like drip to the bottom and and pool. So you get an even. You could probably do the same thing there where you just turn the bowl. Well, he did try that at one point. He put like saran wrap on the outside and then blue taped it around the edge, and he's like. If this looks like a bad idea, 
that's because it is. <laughs> it <did. laughs> and it didn't really work that well. And then that's when he tries the other method. So, um, because it's a pretty substantial size bowl as well. But it's cool. It's a lot of fun. I love it when people just kind of go out on a limb and, you know, it's clearly not going to work out real well, but they still <laughs> they still figure it out. <laughs> so I got to give them kudos for that. Super fun to watch. Um, let's see. Um, Renee actually sent this to us on our Facebook page. And if you guys haven't seen this, it's way cool. Guy basically builds a piece of furniture out of chocolate. Yes, it's just awesome. Nice. Seen that. And uh, I, I, in some ways, I wish that would work this way. <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah. like basically take take the piece that you want to join in the next piece and just join it with molten chocolate. It's awesome. Yeah, and it, it looks pretty, really tasty. And it's also one of those videos that's going to show up on your feed from all of your friends and family who think yep. you've never seen it. Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. And then I'll come I've back. Been living under a rock years. apparently because I had never seen it. Mm-hmm. Or you don't have any friends. That could be more that too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get into our kickbacks. Uh, so let's start with a voicemail, and this is from Andy Sims. And uh, where is it? There we go. Then this is uh, actually kickback in response to our What We Hate segment, and this is what uh, Andy hates. To the esteemed Albano Gorilla, the revered Harry Giggler, and to the least of these a.k.a. Grumpy Old Man, a.k.a. Mark Spack, Mark Spack, Mark Spack Nolo. In the last episode, the one where Spaggy Waggy couldn't get the date right, the great Shannon Rogers implored me to call you and tell you what I hate. And no, Mark, that's not you. I pity you. But what I hate is having an hour and 15 minute commute and a 36 minute wood talk podcast. Fix that. <laughs> Anyways, I'm glad you haven't quit yet. Also, Matt, the one with strangers in your bushes and a stranger in your truck. I'm glad you're not dead. This is Sims calling from Don't Call It Hotlanta. Goodbye. All right. Now, I don't mean this to be to sound offensive in any way, but I don't know if that's his real accent. But if it's not, it sounds like he's getting his Scottish mixed up with his Pakistani. (laughs) There were times I could not tell which accent he's trying to do. Now, if that's actually his accent, my apologies. Then I just offended you in some way. (laughs) Unless you happen to be Scottish Pakistani. That's always a possibility. Sure. Anyway, so that's what he hates. You know, we'll try and do our, uh, our best. Uh, to keep that second show. For those who don't know, we actually record two shows at once. So what winds up happening is the second show, we don't have necessarily anything for what's on the bench and what's new and and stuff like that because we're recording it on the same day. Um, So this time I did try to load up the second show with lots of questions and hopefully we'll end up with a normal length show and not just like a 35 minute show. We'll do our best. Okay. No promises. No promises at all. Sometimes we talk fast. You never know. Um, so the next thing we got here is from Randy. He says, Hey guys, I may have found a solution to rust and open hand tool storage. I tried pointing a fan at my shelves and so far so good this year, even in Northern Virginia. So just air movement. It sounds like even in a human environment, sounds like it's working for, uh, Randy. And I guess if you don't mind having a fan running all the time, maybe that could work. Yeah, it should work. That's all a kiln does, right? Just pushes air. Mm-hmm. Oh, hot air. 
Uh-huh. Just like Matt. Yeah. Uh, this Thanks. is from Thanks. Alex. Um, oh, yeah, this is fun. He says, I've heard you talk about woodworking conferences and shows a few times in the past year, saying you expect these to disappear and that it doesn't fit their business model. Well, you're wrong. At least partly wrong. Let me explain why. I listen to a lot of podcasts, like a lot. Don't worry, in your domain, you're number one, but I also listen to podcasts about tech and media, among many other topics. The consensus of media experts and executives is the requirements to have some diversification and a number of revenue streams, especially for magazines. If you pay any attention to the media landscape, you'll notice that there are a ton of these conferences and there's more every year. TED, Code Conferences, from Recode, Vanity Fair's New Establishment Summit, to name a few. It's true they charge more than fine woodworking live on the order of 5K for some, but these conferences keep their publications relevant by engaging the readers and bringing in an extra revenue stream. I can't speak for the woodworking shows, but if other magazines keep organizing conferences, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a distraction for fine woodworking or other magazines. Fortunately, I don't listen to you guys for your media expertise, so please don't quit. You're still my number one woodworking podcast. <laughs> I like this comment because I kind of want to disagree with this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what we are, yes, absolutely. Conferences are a very big deal. Conferences are incredibly effective for bringing in new readers, bringing in alternate revenue streams, expanding your your sphere of influence in your particular area. But you have to look at the woodworking market specifically. First and foremost, the majority of the woodworking market is a hobbyist market. So it can be classified as a luxury expense and it is a cheap market. We spend a lot of money on our tools and not a lot of money on anything else. So first of all, you could never get the conference attendance fee up to the numbers that you see. I mean, I go to business conferences a lot. I go to marketing conferences a lot. I've never gone to one where I've spent less than $1,000 just for my admission. So that's typical. There is not a way you would ever make that work. Well, what are you saying? What do you think a max would be for, you know, a three day Two to three day conference like we see with Fine Woodworking Live, maybe four hundred bucks is probably your range. They're already there. I think we're there. Right, I but mean, that but that is the max. Up one side, down the other, about how expensive that show is and how yeah. expensive Fine Woodworking or Woodworking America is was. I don't I don't think we can go much higher than that. And and now I'm drawing on just my own experience running the Hand Tool School. Um, you know, I know that a lot of my content is worth more than I can sell it for, but the market won't hold it. There's just not a chance you can get them to hold it. So uh, there's, there's a, it's a very, very different marketplace, especially from tech, especially from Ted and especially from big media, because there's just a hell of a lot of money to be thrown around in the size of that marketplace, the size of the audience. And this is just not it. It's a very, very different marketplace. Well, even so when you look while at like- I appreciate it, you're wrong. <laughs> oh, dang. Uh, but if you look at like a digital space and educational materials, uh, all three of us are engaged in selling what I think we consider to be some of the best woodworking instruction that's available online. Uh, and and at a, as a premium product, what's our price point for these things? What can we actually get away with? I mean, a hundred bucks is maybe the most you can get for any like single thing that you're selling. And even then those aren't going to sell that well, depending on what it is. But if you get an information product on how to sell information products, 
Oh, yeah. How much are you oh. going to spend on that? Thousands of dollars for these information kits, which actually, I mean, they might have some useful information, but a lot of them, it's just regurgitating stuff you could probably find in a series of blog posts somewhere. Um, but either way, not to disparage what it is, but the point is people are way more willing to spend more mo- like money on those types of things. And I think the classification between hobbyist and business and who makes up a typical woodworker is a very good example of that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's in so many instances of a lot of these business conferences, the people attending are not actually spending their money. Mm-hmm. They're spending their company's money. So, you know, not that there's lots of people who are think about, well, I don't want to spend this much for the company, but let's be real. You know, that thousand dollars for your attendance was on your corporate MX card, not your MX card. So yeah. it's, it's real easy to, to, to overlook these things, but no, I mean, I, <laughs> it's just funny because he says, I don't listen to you for your media expertise. This is kind of what I do <laughs> when I'm not <laughs> here. I'm a director of marketing. I pay very close attention to this type of stuff. Wait, 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 wait. You're like a real, like, director of the marketing? The real thing? Yeah. Like, like actually? For real and for true. <laughs> well, I, I mean, like, you just make up your own title and you just kind of run with it. Well, that's what I do. <laughs> that's how <laughs> no, I do things. What it was. But, well, you got, then I worked uh... for a digital marketing agency, so we did a lot of this stuff. Yeah, and I mean, so you got I Shannon wish working. I wish it wasn't this way, It, but this is the way this market is. And, you know, I, I have a lot of conversations um, around with other membership site owners. I actually belong to a membership site for membership site owners. And you get these people to talk about, you know, I had my launch that, you know, garnered $100,000 and it's like, okay, well, what's your price point? Well, it's $900 a person. Yeah. Well, you don't need a yeah, whole lot of customers to break that. But when your price point is 20 or 50, you know, and it's funny because you, you talk to other people in the hobbyist thing, like knitters, you know, or um, painters who, you know, want to coach watercolors and things like that. They're all around the same price point as woodworking because it's a hobby. This is not something that you're going to be spending huge amounts of money on. Let me correct that. You're going to spend lots of money on the tools and the equipment. But the other stuff, it, it's kind of seen as ancillary. And, it, and it may, I, I think in a lot of ways it's, it's wrong, right? Because how much does a woodworking class in person cost? No way you get a week-long woodworking class for less than $1,000. Right. And in many ways, I've had a lot of people, hundreds of people tell me that like hand tool school classes are more effective because it's in their own shop. They can watch it as many times as they want. They they're able to, to um, what's the word to look for? Personalize it a lot more because they're using their own tools and because they're not at someone else's shop with their big tools and you come back and you can't remember how to do anything. Granted face-to-face instruction is the way it should be done, but you know, who can afford a one-on-one class? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a lot of, disparity there that says that you know what what i charge for my courses should be a lot more but there is not a chance in hell i'm going to be able to get that kind yeah. of price point Good i couldn't luck. charge a thousand dollars for a hand tool school semester even though there's 85 hours of content in one semester alone and all this other stuff that goes with it not a chance could i do that <laughs> dude the uh the high boy is a great example of this matt We've had multiple discussions (laughs) about what can we price this thing at. It has exceeded in hours and actual information than just about any other guild project out there. But we cannot raise the price because no one will buy it. (laughs) Like (laughs) it just will not sell. And it's as high as it's going to go. So it has the equivalent value of like two to three 
typical guild project. Yeah. So, I mean, really, you would price it at probably about, I, I think it would be fair to price that thing at about $200, maybe $250. Oh, yeah, at least. You I know, think you're still going to have a pretty good deal with that, too. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. But it's never going to happen. So, anyway. Interesting. So, uh, anyway, interesting sorry thoughts. to open a can of worms with this one, but yeah. <laughs> it resonated with me a little bit. <laughs> Shannon doesn't like being told that he doesn't have media expertise. I mean, he works in the industry, and, and what do we know? We just run businesses that require media expertise. But, you know, <laughs> but let's just talk God, about so woodworking. I got, I got my marketing job because of my expertise from the Renaissance Woodworker. That's how I got that job. Yeah. That we're just this might be my favorite discussion yet. I like this. <laughs> Boy, are we defensive, huh? Um, all right. So, uh, Matt, I think you got the next one. All right. So, from Nick, he says, not a question, but feedback from the last two shows. My favorite glue for cutting boards is now Elmer's school glue. Hmm. It's non-toxic and washable. When he says washable, does he mean washing it off your hands or does he mean that it's water resistant? I didn't know that it was water resistant. I'm pretty sure this is a joke. Is no. it though? No, Chuck Bender uses Elmer's. Washable, though? Like water for like 40 years. On like food stuff, like a cutting board, you're going to be washing? That's, that's what I'm trying to figure out here. I'm Googling right now as we speak. I mean, it's washable. It washes out of your clothes. We talked about that at some point, I think. Um, hmm. uh, well, someone know. let us know or clarify. If you're, you're going to set us a joke, explicitly say this is a joke or this is serious. Because <laughs> yeah, all jokes are better when they're you know, preempted by, Hey, this is a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were talking about food. But then there is my joke, my stupid joke about what glue you use, but I still want to know about this washable thing. So let us know, Nick, get back to us. All right. So I think we have another voicemail here. This one is from Jeff and he's got a travel tip. Hey guys, this is Jeff Johnson from beautiful Bellingham, Washington with a travel tip for Matt. Matt, I know you Uh said that recently you got sick after you took a trip somewhere, and I wanted to share a tip because in the past my wife and I have traveled extensively, and it seemed like we were always getting sick, whether it was during the trip or just after the trip. But I read somewhere that it's important to bring along with you disinfectant wipes, and when you do, when you sit in the plane, wipe down every surface that you're going to touch. For example, the console in front of you, the tray table, the armrest, everything that you're going to come into contact with, including the light switch above you. If you do that, you'll kill any germs that are there. And I find that since I started doing that a few years back, I never get sick anymore. Just a travel tip so that you guys keep in good health and keep on making great podcasts like Wood Talk. Thanks again for all you do. Sweet. So I have to do is bathe in Purell, man, and, and you're good. I can see someone like giving kickback next week, like wiping out everything with disinfectant stuff. That's how you spread like MRSA or <laughs> something like that. You're killing all the weak bacteria yeah. or virus. Antibiotic, and antibiotic resistant bacteria. And oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I actually saw people doing that on the plane. I'm like, that's a, probably a good idea. Then I was like, maybe I should ask them for a wipe. I'm like, nah, nah I don't know. I'm not that. I'm not crazy. that good. He's too pragmatic for that. Lindsay would. She'd ask anybody for anything. Look, all you got to do is wash your hands and keep your fingers out of your nose. Someone else's nose, I think. Or My anyone nose. else's nose. <laughs> but you know what? You got two kids. It, it doesn't matter what you do. Well, not when you when you were on this trip. But if you have kids with you, it's impossible to, to keep yourself germ-free. Oh, yeah. Little germ factories. Oh, I, I know. It's terrible. 
All right. So the next one we have here is from Rob. He says, in response to the question about floor leveling in the Dropsy Glue episode, I immediately thought of this clip from Rick and Morty. Figured you guys would appreciate true level on a cosmic scale. I was going to play this because the audio is pretty good, but then there's some swears and I'd have to do a lot of bleeping. But I highly recommend you go watch it. Seriously, and go watch this. It's hilarious <laughs> in terms of like what it means to be on a level surface. So uh, we'll put the <laughs> link and uh, we'll just embed that in the show notes. Okay, so that's pretty much it for the kickback. Now, of course, you could always write us, but we love those voicemails. So send us uh, using your voicemail app on your phone and send us your files uh, at woodtalkonline at gmail.com and we'll play them on the show. All right, let's get into our email. Uh, First one here is from Jason Calloway. He says, it's almost summer, so my garage workshop is going to be really hot soon. What are the best ways to stay cool while I'm out there if I can't install a full air conditioning or climate control system? Is it a bad idea to just have the fans blowing all the time? All right, so I bring this up because I think we generally talk about this on a yearly basis. So, you know, nice to kind of discuss it as things are warming up and some people don't have that climate control or insulation in their shop and it becomes a problem. Uh, And as someone who basically had a workshop that was located somewhere in downtown hell, uh, (laughs) I have some experience dealing with uh, high temperatures in the shop. So... Uh, There's a few things you can do depending on where you are. If you're in a relatively dry climate, you might look at a swamp cooler. And if you don't know what that is, you're probably not in a dry climate, (laughs) right? Because I didn't know what it was when I lived in New Jersey, but then suddenly in Arizona, everybody's talking about swamp coolers. Um, But because they introduce a lot of moisture into the air, if you are in a place like Arizona, someplace that's really dry, uh, they can very effectively um, give you the sensation of a cooler environment, but you also need to be able to get that moisture out of there when you're done. So having a dry place is, is really important. Otherwise rust and all that stuff can get out of control. Uh, so that's certainly one option. Air movement is the simplest thing. You know, you're talking about fans. Well, we just discussed someone's tools rusting and, and how they leave a fan on all the time. Uh, there's really nothing wrong with air movement in the shop. And I would highly recommend that because that can stave off the need for air conditioning. For instance, all last year, it was my first summer in Denver, um, you know, granted my, where I am on the scale might be a little bit different because I'm used to Arizona, but the summer wasn't bad at all. And I have uh, three ceiling fans in the shop and I just keep them on medium most of the time. And I can maybe count on one hand the days I broke a sweat. Uh, so the air movement, as long as, you know, you're not in a direct sun, air movement is kind of nice. So definitely keep that air moving. Uh, there are other things. I mean, the best thing is obviously insulate well, first insulate and then think about, you know, climate control. But if you're not going to go that route, there's some crazy stuff out there and things I looked into before I could afford an air conditioner in my shop in uh, Arizona. (laughs) And I believe I've talked about this before, the cool vest thing that I bought, um, that you basically have these frozen gel packs that go into this vest and they are supposed to draw the heat away from your body. It's kind of BS. It didn't really work. (laughs) You just look like, you look like a jerk. Uh, wearing this funny, <laughs> this funny puffy vest while you're trying to woodwork. Uh, so that was not very effective. But ultimately, those are the things that I would recommend. There's not a whole lot that you can do, you know, other than move the air. And if it's uh, if it's really severe, then you know, as my buddy Vic would tell you, tell you to insulate first because if you put an air conditioner with no insulation, you're just wasting your time and money. <laughs> so, yes, yes. best thing I ever did was replace my garage door. Um, and put a good, well-insulated garage door in. Mm-hmm. Now, I, you know, I'll turn the window AC unit on, and I end up having to turn it off like 10 minutes later. Yeah. Because it just gets cold in here. 
Um, and then I, you know, I just don't, I don't bother to turn it on when I'm not in here. It just, it stays nice and cool. Yeah. Good, good thought with the door. That, that can you be also a big like one. adjust your work schedule if that's possible too. Mm-hmm. To like a time of day where it's not so hot. Early and late. That's what maybe. I do. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, all right, Matt, you're up. Oh boy. All right. So this one is from Matt and I'll warn you, he's got a bunch of questions in here. So try to keep up. <laughs> okay. That that would be hyping hyping the audience up. How, it's pretty fast. Feel? Watch me for the changes. Oh boy, here we go. Blues riff and B. All right. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking of, Shannon. So I'm right there okay. with you. Glad you're with me. <laughs> <laughs> you know that sound you were looking for? Well, listen to this. All right. This is I'm pre Back to the Future. Oh, that's right. Back to the future, yeah, he's right? post Back yes. to the Future, so he doesn't know that. Although I did get the reference somehow. <laughs> so there's that. Good job. Anyway. <laughs> All right, again, this is from Matt. He says, I'm interested in milling a few of my ash and birch logs that I have for possible chair parts in the future. The logs range in diameter from 12 to 18 inches and are on the short side at 4 to 6 feet long. Uh, he has some questions about chainsaw milling. says he has his va- Husqvarna... Husqvarna, Husqvarna, however you guys want to say that. Everybody husky, says it differently. Husky, husky, a husky. Uh, 455 Rancher with relatively few hours on it, which I realized would be on the on the little, be a little on the slow side for milling. I've started to watch Craigslist, Craigslist for possible larger uh, CC saws for a power head. I am thinking of buying a Panther Mill 2 to use, a 42-inch mill. Um, so the question, first question, do you think the Husky 455, it's a 55cc saw, would be okay to test the waters? so to say, for my first milling experience, do I need a bar larger than 20 inches, a rip chain, or should I focus my energy on finding a larger CC saw on the used market that I could fix up and make my power head? I'd like to get some experience before I drop five $500,000 on a power head. Okay, more questions. Also, I've noticed that a lot of the logs you mill are urban source. Have you found that these logs have a lot of uh, hidden metal bits that have damaged your chainsaws and or bandsaw blades? Woo! <laughs> All right, I'll get a drink. Yeah, you guys go take a walk. It's fine. It's, uh... <laughs> uh, so the first question on the size of the saw, honestly, for what you're looking at cutting, this, you know, they're pretty small logs, and you obviously have a realistic expectation of it already. It's going to be pretty slow. That size saw is kind of on the smaller side of something I would even consider for milling. But the first saw that I had for chainsaw milling was a steel 039, and that was a 64cc saw. And I milled a 32-inch hard maple log with that. And uh, it worked. It happened. And I still have the slabs. Speaking of too many slabs sitting around, I still have those I got to use for something. Anywho, um, as far as longer bars, what kind of bar are you going to need? The mill is going to take up about six inches or so of the capacity of that bar once you clamp it in there. So your cut capacity gets dropped down. So if you have a 20-inch bar, your actual cut capacity is going to be more around 14 inches at the max. And even then, you do want to have some extra um, capacity there because it's a lot more efficient to cut the saw at some kind of bias angle than going uh, basically perpendicular into the end grain. Uh, the cut geometry is a little bit different. It's trying to pull fibers out as you go down the longitudinal length of the log. So you need to be able to rotate the saw at some kind of angle to get that. So you need that extra cut capacity there to make that uh, angle, you know, because hypotenuse is longer than the legs of the triangle, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, as far as a rip chain, you do want some kind of rip configured chain. If you buy a specific rip chain or make your own, it doesn't really matter. It's all chain. Uh, the rip chain configuration is going to have the the depth guide set much lower 
So you're able to take a larger chip, and they're going to be ground at uh, closer to like 10 degrees versus third degrees for cross-cutting. That cut geometry just makes it so you have a um, longer um, edge life, edge retention on your, on your chain, so you're not sharpening all the time. Because one of the things with chainsaw milling is it's kind of inefficient, so you have to make sure that your things are running as perfectly as possible. And the best way to do that is make sure your chain is as sharp as possible so your saw doesn't need to work nearly as hard. Um, as far as finding a larger CC saw, um, I, I'm all for that. You know, if the nice thing is you already have this one chainsaw, and you don't really have much money to invest at this point besides the mill. So if you decide you don't like chainsaw milling, then you didn't buy an expensive power head, you don't have to get rid of it. Um, if you're looking to just fix one up, I think that's a fantastic way to go. That's the way that I went. Uh, I learned a ton about small engines and repairing chainsaws and how they work, and I'm not scared of breaking them or having them break. Uh, chainsaw milling is very taxing on the power head. It's a lot of work on those things. So parts are going to fail much sooner than if you're just out there cutting firewood occasionally. So you have to get ready for the fact that you have to do some more maintenance and some more repairs on your saws. So having uh, you know, rebuilt a saw or done some kind of work on a saw previously definitely helps with that whole thing because you can experiment and try things on that saw. It's not working. What's the worst that can happen? You make it more broken? Eh, whatever. More things to fix. More things you could possibly solve. Um, if you want to go buy a new one, Go for it. I have still yet to do that. I might do that at some point in my life, but if you're going to get an actual saw for milling, you're going to be looking probably over $1,000 anyway. I think five to 1000 is kind of low for a new power head. That being said, I don't know a whole lot about the Husky line. I really only know about the steel line because that was kind of the, the direction I went with my first saw. The first saw I found was a steel, and then from there I just kept buying steel stuff because I was familiar with the parts and everything because it's interchangeable. So you know, once you kind of go down, like you're like locked into a system. Uh, anyway, okay, urban source logs and having lots of hidden metal bits. That's like the one thing I hear from everybody is like, oh my god, there's so much metal in all these trees. And in reality, the the logs I have hit metal in, I think it's like three or four, and only one has been like anything that's actually significant. Most of the time it was like little tiny nails or something like that. And those things don't really damage or ruin your chainsaw blades or your, your chainsaw chains or your bandsaw blades hmm. um the the tree that i used to make the elfie table does have steel in it. it has a couple of nails in it they didn't even know they were there until i actually finished the cut of the chainsaw and the, the saw still cut for the last foot after i hit those nails so it's not like it totally destroys them it really depends on what is actually in there it could be anything but for the most part people nail things to trees so you're gonna find nails and nails aren't really all that I don't know. They're not all that crazy to cut through. What will destroy your chainsaw uh, chain is when you screw down your ladder and you don't have your depth set deep enough on your saw and you cut into the screws that are holding the ladder down to your to the log, you will destroy that chain. <laughs> so don't ask me how I know, but you will <laughs> destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually, that's the only time I've actually destroyed a chain or a blade is by making that mistake. And I haven't made it since. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's terrible. That's a disappointment, I imagine. Uh, that's yeah. all right. It, it, the best part about that, too, is it was like a 16th or an 8th. So it was just like the tip of the screw hit. And the, the screws are much harder material than like a nail would be, I guess. So it just like destroyed 
just the teeth pointing in the up direction. The ones towards the bottom are fine, but the ones pointing up were all just destroyed. And at that point, it's like, well, this will never cut straight again. <laughs> Jeez. That sucks. Half the teeth are missing in the yeah. wrong direction. So, yeah, all right. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a really good point you bring up, though, about learning a lot about small engines and doing, I mean, just not worrying about, yes, I'm going to break this. And if I do, eh. I'll fix it. It's kind of, I have that conversation a lot. I mean, people are like, aren't you worried about damaging the blade? I was like, well, that's what sharpening's for. (laughs) Yes. You know, oh, teak is so hard on your blades. Eh, Maybe, but I know how to sharpen. (laughs) Yeah. That's what the blades are there for. (laughs) Oh, do it. And if it breaks, fix it. Cool. Well, this is, this should be an easy question. Uh, This is from Paul. He says, uh, I'm looking to make a conductor's baton on the lathe for a friend. The bulb will most likely be Kokobolo or zebra wood. My question is, what is the best wood for the staff part? Obviously something that is straight grain and not prone to movement. What is your recommendation? I don't think it needs to be straight grained or not prone to movement because it's a very, very tiny little piece of wood. You're going to turn that down. The, the batons that I had used, uh, I've actually made a few for conducting friends. You know, they, they tapered down to a point. And I think at the largest, it was like three sixteenths in diameter. So it doesn't matter whether it's prone to movement or not. Um, straight grain, yes. It would be a little bit stronger if you had a straight grain piece. So if you had something you could maybe rive out to get continuous grain, you'd be better off. But I think the most important thing you need to think about here is visibility. Um, a baton is useless if the orchestra can't see the motion of the baton. The reason that a, an orchestral conductor uses a baton is to exaggerate, to make the, the movements of their hand more noticeable. Um, and you can conduct a little bit more precisely with um, a, a baton. So if you make it out of even, you know, maple that is going to maybe take on a slightly tan brown hue, it may not show up that well. So... Honestly, I think go with holly. And if you look at a lot of hardwood batons, they're made from holly. So you get that bright white section, and there's usually ebony or some other um, exotic jungle wood in, in the bulb part. So um, the, there, you may find some other species. You may be able to bleach some other species. But for the size of the part you're looking for, you can find holly. Go Google holly, and you'll find all kinds of little turning blank type sizes and things um, and that would be the best solution more than anything nice I just learned a whole bunch of things about batons <laughs> there you go <laughs> I always thought that guy was just up there to show off and look cool <laughs> well some of them are yeah <laughs> and, and everybody's following the first violinist that's basically it <laughs> there's a funny part about that question is like when you, when you read the topic in the intro about the baton I thought like track so yeah, like, I don't know, like aluminum tube, like we run it out of wood. <laughs> yeah, best species for that. Pass uh, the baton. <laughs> something really heavy. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's what you train with before the relay. You train yes. with a lignophyte baton, yes. right? And then when you get the little aluminum one, you know your, your splits are. Uh, like, it's like lightning. That's great. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that just about does it for the show. And uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes if you're up for doing such a thing. And we had one here from C. Rossman. He says, Can't miss podcast. Helpful, informative, and entertaining. The perfect soundtrack while drilling pocket holes. Well, there you go. So it's pretty easy. Just go into the iTunes store and look up Wood Talk and you'll find a way to leave us a review and a rating there. We appreciate it. Uh, Shannon, why don't you give them the contact info and we can get out of here. 
I'd love to, Mark. If any of you listening to this wonderful show that's great for drilling pocket holes, mm-hmm. and you want to tell us more things that it's great for listening to do, what? Well, uh, never mind. Yep, you lost it. I just yep. botched that. Gone. Entirely. Yep. Yeah, just send us a voicemail. Use your voice <laughs> memo app. Send it to woodtalkonline at gmail.com. And then just quit bothering me. Leave us alone. We also have a contact form. Get it's at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. And you can write it out. And you can find us in all the social places on the Instagrams and the Twitters and the Facebooks. For the most part, we are at Wood Talk Show. Beautiful. Yay. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Bye. See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.